You're listening to the Australian Hunting Podcast, your number one source for hunting and shooting in the great outdoors. Sit back and relax as we interview some of the most experienced outdoorsmen in the industry today. You will learn valuable tips and tricks that you can use on your next hunting trip into the field to make you a more successful hunter. Now here's your host, Jason Selms. Welcome back to the Australian Hunting Podcast. That's right, I'm your host, Jason Selms, and this is episode 10. Field and Game Australia Chief Executive Officer, Rod Drew. And that's right, this is our 10th episode. I just wanted to thank uh, all the listeners and all the guests that have been on my show uh, to date. Uh, it's muchly appreciated. Uh, the podcast is going absolutely fantastically and we're having a lot of new guests coming up over the uh, summer period. Uh, there may be a little bit of a break over the December, January period because I'm planning on getting out there and doing a lot of hunting, but uh, a lot of the podcasts will be pre-recorded so there should be no downtime. Yeah, it's been a bit of a uh, milestone for episode 10. Uh, you know, I didn't think it would be as popular as it has and I want to thank all people uh, for all the emails that I've received. Uh, it's been fantastic. Uh, I love it. I will endeavor to get back to everyone as soon as I can. Um, but if you want to know more about the show, again, you can go on iTunes, rate and subscribe. Get us up there at the top of iTunes. Uh, you can also go on our Facebook page, Australian Hunting Podcast. Um, also, Twitter, AH Podcast, uh, for all our upcoming guests and musings. Uh, and also, too, you can email us if you would like to at Australian Hunting podcast at gmail.com you can also uh, go on one of our other websites at aussieusedguns.com.au uh, the premier classifieds for new and used firearms uh, it takes about 30 seconds to join up and uh, you can list all your second hand or brand new firearms for dealers 100% free and uh, purchasers can come on browse through all the new and used firearms uh, it's a fantastic site you can jump on there and uh, for all your firearms needs. That includes pistols, rifles, shotguns, reloading gear, safes, you name it. Uh, it's on there. Um, jump on there. Free to lists. Uh, no excuse not to get on there and list anything you have secondhand or brand new uh, for sale. Uh, so without further ado, let's get into my interview with Chief Executive Officer of Field and Game Australia, Rod Drew. <laughs> This is Rod Drew, CEO of Field and Game Australia, and you're listening to Australian Hunting Podcast. Rod Drew, welcome to the Australian Hunting Podcast. Thanks for coming on. It's a pleasure. Great to be with you, Jason. No worries. Absolutely. Um, so, mate, tell us, um, yeah, how did you personally get into hunting and shooting you know was it a family tradition or how did you get into it yeah it was i i grew up uh, on the murray river and uh, of course uh, our family had a farm and uh, i grew up uh, fishing uh, hunting and uh, yeah trapping rabbits and riding horses and doing all those sort of pursuits that you do when you live on the land and of course i've never forgotten that that's really what what got me started yeah, no, absolutely. So, I mean, obviously you're the uh, CEO of Field and Game Australia. So when did Field and Game Australia open and what was, you know, the motivation for uh, uh, Field and Game to open that branch up? Field and Game started in Victoria in 1958 and it came about 
because a group of duck hunters uh, noticed that some of the species they loved to hunt were starting to go into decline. And what uh, caused this decline was that after the 1956 floods, the government in Victoria started a massive drainage, wetland drainage scheme where farmers were actually paid to drain wetlands. And as a result of that, we lost a lot of critical duck habitat in the state. And it was the hunters who first noticed that this was you know, actually affecting the duck numbers. So this group of um, forward-thinking hunters got together and they uh, approached the government uh, to actually start a licensing system and uh, charge hunters a license. And that first fee was one pound, one pound a year. And that money then went into a, a conservation trust, which the government matched the funds in it. Yep. And that was used then to purchase uh, remaining wetland habitats across Victoria. And that's how the organisation started. Yes, yeah, sounds like a great idea. Um, so, you know, let's say we've got a, you know, a new shooter or hunter getting into the sport. What can, say, Field and Game Australia offer, say, to new shooters and hunters uh, getting into the sport? And what, why should they join a Field and Game Australia? Well, you know, Field and Game Australia has been going uh, for over 50 years now. And uh, there's a real tradition, you know, amongst, amongst hunters, particularly wing hunters, uh, people who love to hunt birds, uh, and that tradition goes right back to those those early sort of forefathers of the organisation. But today, you know, Field and Game's grown. It's now got uh, over 15,500 members in 64 branches around Australia. So when a person joins Field and Game, uh, they whilst they might join uh, one particular branch, they are welcome to uh, attend other branches and participate in activities at all the field and game branches. And uh, those activities include everything from you know, clay target shooting to fox, fox hunts, fox drives, to, uh, you know, to duck shooting, to conservation work, you know, restoring wetlands, putting up fences, tree planting, uh, water control structures, and a whole range of uh, activities which really build tremendous camaraderie amongst the members. No, absolutely. So, so how many was that Australia-wide? How many members? Uh, it's 15,500, and they're in uh, 64 branches. So, yeah, no, fantastic. So, I mean, what... Uh, I had a few uh, listener questions, um, and one of them sort of in particular was what uh, model does the uh, Field and Game Australia pursue with the Victorian government? Are they pursuing like a New South Wales type model, which includes, as you, as you were saying before, possible compulsory memberships and hunter education? Or is it uh, this uh, listener, Richard, actually said, was it the preferred New Zealand model? What sort of, uh, are, they, are they following there? Well, basically, um, what, what's happening here in Victoria, the government are now looking at a new model uh, for game management. It's only early days, but from Field and Game's point of view, we we like um, various aspects of different models. There's no one model that is the right model for Victoria. Um, you know, there are certainly aspects of the New Zealand model that we find would be would work well here, and there are certainly components of the New South model that would work well here. But there are also other models that are used used in uh, Africa and also in America, and there are components of those that would... Um, you know, Victoria is very different to New South Wales. Um, we have public land hunting here and have had it for a long time. 
So we're certainly not advocating the, the, the New South Wales model as it, as it currently stands. Yeah, no, that's fine, that's fine. Actually, that uh, question was um, submitted by a fellow Richard, actually. So we've got a few things to give away at the moment. So he's actually won himself a uh, fishing DVD, so I'll actually get in contact with uh, Richard So because we answered one of his questions on the podcast. And, that, and, that, and those uh, DVDs are actually courtesy of downriggershop.com.au, so you can uh, check out that if you... Uh, uh, listeners can check out that if you're looking for your online fishing needs. So, all right, let's get into our next question. Uh, right, how did you become CEO of Field and Game? Was it uh, your passion for hunting, or how did you become involved? Well, I first started off just by joining a branch, and uh, of course, I you know I met wonderful people, and uh, and uh, yeah, got into the hunting side of it, and of course, uh, clay target shooting. I just liked like the whole um you know organization and it just suited my lifestyle and and of course uh, one thing led to another and next thing I was on uh, a branch executive and then I went on to state executive and then uh in in uh, 1997 uh, I then uh, had the opportunity to um you know work for the organization uh full time and uh I've been doing that ever since yeah, have you have you seen some positive changes to Field and Game Australia over the years? Do you think, I mean, um, it's it's developed into you know where the the original founders seen it to go? Oh look, absolutely. You know, I think one of the, one of the um, main things we established, which has really um, you know cemented our place in conservation, was the establishment of our wet trust. Uh, we have a, a wet trust which is a conservation trust. Uh, that is recognised by by federal and state governments, and it's also registered as a tax exempt charity. And uh, the first project that that uh, trust undertook was the uh, the restoration of wetland habitat uh, in Gippsland, the the Hart Morass. Uh, this is a fairly famous uh, wetland system down near Sale, and of course, um, you know, the Wet Trust was able to purchase. Um, that that uh, wetland and then restore the habitat and uh, to see you know, to see photos of that wetland today uh, as opposed to how it was when we took it over it's just uh, just been a remarkable you know a restoration success. Yeah, no, I can imagine. I mean, I'm I'm always a bit jealous, especially because I uh, live in New South Wales. Uh, you know, you guys have a good duck season and stuff like that, whereas New South Wales. You know, don't tend to have obviously you know the duck season since the early '90s. So I guess that will take us into our next uh, question. So um, Field and Game Australia obviously supports hunting and shooting. So what changes say uh, you know would you you know the Field and Game or even yourself would like to see in the near future? So that would might be include you know say duck hunting in New South Wales um, or even even uh, as I was talking to Robert Borzak about a few weeks ago, uh, game reserves in New South Wales as well. So. How do you think that would? Do you reckon that would be something you, that they would support? Oh, absolutely. I mean, uh, we need to we need to get uh, hunting back in its proper context uh, in the Australian community. We lost duck hunting in Queensland, and you know, Queensland's probably got some of the best you know duck hunting habitat in Australia. And you know, Queensland's a place we need to get duck hunting back. Uh, New South Wales, we need to get it back uh, as well, and. Uh, New South Wales, there is a lot of um, hunting there under the pest mitigation program on the rice, and uh, 
there's no reason why it can't be done. It's a sustainable resource. There's no science that suggests that duck hunting in New South Wales isn't sustainable. And, uh, you know, we need to get that back because once you get that certainty, you know, across all states of Australia around, around the sport, the sport makes a tremendous contribution uh, to the conservation of the species. Without duck hunters, you wouldn't have ducks because, quite simply, most of the research that's undertaken in Australia today is done by hunting organisations. There is very little research put into waterfowl or indeed deer species or, or any hunted species. Um, there's very little research done by groups that aren't you know, connected to hunting organisations. Yeah, no, I was going to say that it would be good to see some actual, you know, which eludes a lot of these anti-gun and, you know, uh, greens type outfits about what the actual science is behind, uh, you know, obviously we don't have a season in New South Wales or Queensland and um, uh, what numbers are actually out there and why there is not a duck season. Is it purely, you know, um, political or, you know, that, it would, would be interesting to see, that's for sure. Well, it's purely political. That, that's that's where, where the buck stops. It is political. There is no scientific reason why uh, du uh, regulated duck seasons can't occur in any state of Australia. And uh, that's, that's the, the nub of the matter. It is political. And, uh, and you know, the, the efforts to get, to get hunting back in New South Wales and other states will be political also. Yeah, so what, I mean, obviously, you know, Victoria's got a season. So, I mean, it has Field and Game Australia or even the hunters of, you know, Victoria, are they ever... You guys ever worried that you know the like the basically the not you know the the, the afternoon and and the night is setting in on on hunting in especially ducks in Victoria? He's afraid of you know like in the future that 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 may change. Is that a real reality? That worry about it is definitely there. I mean, um, hunters who think that hunting seasons just occur because the government thinks they're nice people and should have a hunting season are really living in fairyland. The ongoing battle to keep hunting going, doesn't matter whether it's ducks, quail, deer, uh, whatever, um, the, the people who are attacking those sports uh, are relentless and it goes on. So that's why the hunting organisations have to devote more and more resource um, to political lobbying and to, in, to ensure that their activities are sustainable. And, uh, you know, it's really trying to win the hearts and minds of the general public. But the reality is that that uh, you know the battle to keep hunting going will always will always be. There'll never come a day when you can sit back and say, um, you know, that's over. We won that because that's not how politics works. No, no, exactly. You're always. I mean, obviously, you know. Again, I was up here in New South Wales, but I noticed, you know, a lot during the, uh, especially opening day, you know, about the lady. You know, she was in the water, you know, prior to the time specified. You know, obviously protesting, and ended up, you know, subsequently getting shot. But you know, I guess that's that's what happens when you sometimes you get in the water when you're not permitted to be there when there's hunters in the area that are that are clearly doing the right thing. Well, you know, we've warned the government about that for years that this would happen. We knew it was only a matter of time that someone would get uh, shot like that and uh, you know whilst uh, you know this person didn't have fatal injuries uh, we can be thankful for that but it, it still should never have happened but the point is people don't need to understand and hunters need to understand that these people who are opposed to their activities and I'm talking about these extreme ones uh, common sense doesn't you know come into their thinking at all these people are zealots and they will do whatever it takes. 
uh, they're quite happy to go down that path. Yeah, I know. That's what I'm saying. Also, too, as far as I was aware, a few people were actually arrested, too, for a couple of the uh, anti, you know, duck hunters down there for, you know, doing the wrong thing throughout that opening day. So, I'm mean, at least the, uh, you know, the, the proper necessary people are out there, you know, making also the, uh, you know, the anti's responsible as well. So, and it's, I guess that's a good thing. You're doing the wrong thing. They're also going to get charged as well, so... Well, that's right, and I think what people have got to understand too, this is not, all this activity is not just confined to hunters. Uh, you know, you've seen what's happened with with the, uh, you know, the live export issue. Um, you've seen what's happened with jumps racing. Um, you know, farmers are being attacked. Farmers are now made to look like bad guys in the community, you know, and you've got very well-financed and... Um, animal rights groups now that have got a lot of resources at their fingertips that are running campaigns on a whole lot of fronts, you know, uh, whether it be livestock exports, horse racing, jumps racing, greyhounds, you can go on and on and on. All, all groups that are involved with animals one way or the other are under the pump from those groups. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I always think that all the time. I mean, I normally see you know, uh, positives with hunters and shooters, just generally keeping to themselves. Uh, you know, I don't, I, uh, me and my hunting friends don't get involved in, you know, their business. So, you know, we just go about our daily business doing the right thing. But it seems, you know, I guess when you're in <clears throat> our sport, hunting, shooting, you know, clay target, pistol, doesn't matter what it is, you're always got to be, you know, I guess, po you know, positive out there, you know, spreading the word, I guess, and getting more and more, that's the best way, I guess, to, you know, keep our sport moving forward. The more and more people we get involved, the more it becomes mainstream, hopefully. That's what's my hope, personally, anyway. Well, that's right. And, yeah, look, I think, you know, over the years, a lot of hunters have tended to be you know, fairly low-key about their activities. But I think, you know, I think hunters have got to come out more. I think you've got to be loud and proud. You've got to tell people you're a hunter. Uh, you've, got to, you've got to, you know, bring home some of your the meat from your hunting trips and share it with friends and family and people who perhaps don't hunt and and let them understand, you know, why you do it and and the enjoyment you get out of being out in the bush. It's and yeah, you know, and, and really people have got to fo focus more on the food aspects of it. You know, you know, game food is now becoming extremely trendy, you know, in 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 the cities and you know, there are many restaurants now that, that have game food on the menu. And hunters have got to, you know, promote that, and uh, make sure when you go to a restaurant, you know, you, you you order game food, or you or you talk to the chef and compliment them on the fact that they they got game food on the menu. Oh no, I totally I totally agree. And uh, on speaking of that, I was actually on a, a forum a few weeks ago and had uh, some people told me, and I mean obviously that'd be quite an expense to it, but uh, about you know possibly. I mean, I don't know who who would fund this type of thing. It was just a bunch of guys throwing a few ideas around. But, you know, obviously, uh, throughout the media, I mean, unless it's somewhat sometimes, I guess, negative in the community, you know, it'd be great for, I mean, whether it even be the Sporting Shooter Association, it may be in conjunction with the government. I mean, I'm not sure, but getting even an ad out there, say, on television about, you know, who's hunting, as in the idea that got put uh, across was, you know, like a, a TV ad where you've got, you know, uh, say a nurse in a hospital, you've got you know, a police officer, a fireman, a, a solicitor or a judge, you know, and then all of a sudden it may cut to 
um, you know, where they're out hunting and shooting, and it's not just you know the idea of the of the ab- advertisement or the TV ad would be you know not just you know people that people think rednecks are out hunting. We've got you know lawyers, solicitors, firemen, office people, you know people in high positions throughout you know either governmental agencies or people, uh, sports people even you know uh, such as you know Glenn McGrath you know, is, is, a, is a very keen hunter. Um, you know, getting these guys into you know the community, getting you know, getting them onto these you know, things, and getting it getting it out on, on national television. I think, uh, I mean, it's only my opinion, but I think um, a lot of that's been missing from you know uh, either from the government and or certain organisations about you know pushing things forward and and making it. Um, I know the Game Council also did a bit of a run on advertisements on billboards uh, some uh, some months ago, which was you know a good positive start. But I'd love to see more of that too. Well, what you're saying spot on, and a lot of that's actually been done more at a local level. Uh, I know in Victoria there's uh, you know, been a number of ads run like that, and we've been involved in, uh, in, in those as well. But, but you've got to remember that the Game Council in New South Wales, uh, you know, part of its charter is to promote and enhance hunting opportunity. So it has a very clear role in that act. Uh, to actually promote. But when you go to other states where hunting is run by government agencies, they do not have a role to promote and enhance. Their role is merely to facilitate. Now, that doesn't sound much of a difference, but it's a big difference because when you have an agency that doesn't put any money into promoting the activity, won't run ads uh, or won't do anything like that, well, then, of course, it's very difficult to grow the sport. So that's then falls back on the hunting organisations. Absolutely, I just thought it'd be a great idea. You know, if I saw that on television, you know, and you you know, even you, you initially you wouldn't be sure what the ad was about, and then you know you've got a, a nurse in their environment, then a fireman, you know, in, in his environment, then all of a sudden, you know, those four or five people that cuts to them out hunting or pistol shooting or clay target shooting, and I reckon that, and then getting people that are you know of 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 status, you know, sportsmen, TV person, whoever's involved in hunting and shooting who doesn't have a problem to, you know, tell other people and get out there in the public eye and say, well, yes, I'm a hunter, I'm a shooter. And, you know, I think people would look at that like that and say, oh, you know, yeah, oh, geez, he's a fireman, oh, and he's a hunter and shooter. Oh, well, maybe it is all right for me to go out there and give it a try. And, you know, if we've got, it's not just, you know, you know, people running around with guns, wielding guns, and not everyone's a redneck, so to speak. So I just think that had some positives to it. No, it is a positive. And look, I've got to say, too, that uh, in general, the media... Uh, has been more uh, receptive to the hunter's side of the debate in recent years as opposed to years ago. I remember, you know, going back uh, many years ago, you know, it was very, very hard to get any uh, traction with the media. And uh, But now there are a number of media people who are quite happy to talk to hunters and hunting organisations and put the other side of the story. And, uh, you know, that's happened just in recent years. But... Uh, and I think that's positive, but we've got to do more of it. There's no doubt about that. Absolutely not. You're 100% right. So, I mean, say amongst hunters and shooters Australia-wide, how, do, how important, say, do you think hunting is to the community and what positives come out of, you know, being a hunter or shooter? Oh, look, there's the huge amounts. I mean, um, here in Victoria, there was uh, some research done by the department back in 1995, which, you know, is you know, a long time ago now, but... The the duck the duck season you know duck hunting was worth about thirty five million dollars 
a year to the Victorian economy, and that was that's in 1995. I'd hate to think what it is now. It'd be certainly a lot more. But yeah, we know of certain communities in the duck hunting areas in Victoria, and one that comes to mind is Donald in Victoria. They'd just come off the back of 10 years of drought. Um, businesses were, were, you know, really, really struggling. And, of course, the duck season come along after all this, and people flock to that town. And, you know, the, the articles in their local media and in the papers and, and the local tourism people, they were just over the moon because duck hunters had come back to their town. And this, is, this sort of story is repeated uh, right across... Um, Victoria and also in New South Wales, you know, when they had duck seasons in New South Wales, places like West Wyalong, the um, um, you know, these pl places, you know, really, um, you know, benefited from it. And there was actually research done on that in 2000, uh, after the duck season had been banned, they did a, a report, um, a scientific review to see what the effects of banning the duck season had been. Many of these rural towns um, had economic loss due to the uh, duck season being banned. Yeah, and sometimes I guess the government would rather see a, a small town fail than, you know, have a sustainable form of hunting. Well, that's right. And I mean, the, you, know, the, uh, you know, when you look at the, you know, the politics behind how that decision came about in, in New South Wales, it was really just a, an independent who the government needed his vote on one of their bills, so they gave him what he wanted. It was as simple as that. And uh, unfortunately, you know, that's what happens when, um, you know, hunting becomes a political football. Yeah, exactly. So um, are the, what are the plans for, say, Field and Game Australia in the future? Where do you see the direction going, say, from now into the future? And is there anything, you know, coming up or any plans in the works? Well, I think it's fairly exciting at the moment, really, because uh, uh, in Victoria we will see substantial changes to how hunting is managed, and uh, you know that we're hoping that will be some sort of a um, you know statutory authority to to manage hunting. Um, but the, you know it's early days on that at the moment, but uh, it appears we are going to get uh, you know hunting onto a much more uh, substantial. Uh, footing and a stronger, stronger basis for the future. Uh, New South Wales is interesting. I mean, over the, this uh, current term of government in New South Wales, uh, we'd like to think that uh, you know we would see um, hunting in national parks and also the return of duck and quail hunting in New South Wales. So, yeah, from a political point of view, um, you know, it's it's probably you know fairly exciting times. The reality is that uh, you know there's more and more people coming into the sport. Um, we seen you know with the drought ending and the the floods we had in Victoria, we've seen um, enormous number of people come into duck hunting and and a lot of young people um, sitting their waterfowl identification tests. Uh, we're seeing more people out of their clay target ranges. Um, people in the cities, uh, you know, are looking for outdoor. Uh, activities um, and hunting and the whole culture of hunting organisations actually bridges a lot of this rural city divide because the more you can get people in the city out into the bush connect with nature uh, talk to people in rural areas uh, the more the understanding improves uh, between the people in the city and the bush
Absolutely. Um, so getting on um, back to the 2011 duck season, I guess we we just had. How, how did it go this season? Was it uh, just as good as previous seasons? There was no real, I guess, trouble from except for the few of the protesters and stuff. How did it, how did it generally go this year? Well, it was um, probably the best season we've seen for, I'd say, you know, maybe the best in my lifetime. And certainly talking to, you know, people... I've uh, hunted for a long time. Everyone says the same thing, the best duck and quail season they'd ever seen in Victoria. Just, just amazing how how the you know, the bird numbers recovered, you know, after the drought and it's testimony to the survival of these Australian species, how they can just breed and breed and continue to breed when the when the conditions and habitat are right. And uh so the season this year, you know, hunters you know, just hadn't seen a season. Many of the younger hunters had never seen a season like this. And many of the younger hunters got to hunt on places that, of course, hadn't had any water for 20 years. And uh, so they actually got to go to and hunt some of these places for the first time. So it was really a remarkable season. It, it just opened everybody's eyes up um, to... Um, you know, just how the the habitat and the environment can turn around. And, of course, after, you know, 10, 10 to, well, more than 10 years, nearly 15 years of drought and, of course, all the doom and gloom of climate change and, you know, duck species were going extinct, some of the experts were saying, well, we now know it was just rubbish because, you know, the way these bird numbers have rebounded, and not just in Victoria, but right across the country, uh, it was just absolutely marvellous. No, you're 100% right. Um, speaking, we were speaking about bird numbers before, and I know uh, speaking to Robert Borzak of the Shooters and Fishers Party just recently, um, he was talking about you know getting also uh, the game birds again, like getting say uh, doves, pigeons, crows, etc. On you know say again like just like duck hunting a seasonal hunting roster. How would how would you think that would work? Do you think that'd be a positive, or there'd be some negatives involved in it if managed properly? I think there are certainly some species that could be included and you know, certainly some of the uh, uh, crow species need to be looked at because they they present huge problems uh, for farmers and, and landowners uh, in some areas and particularly around lambing time. Um, there's no doubt they could go on the list. There's no doubt you know, there's some uh, pigeon species that could be looked at too um, you know, that, that provide very good um, you know, game uh, qualities. They 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 they're good to eat, and also they're very um, challenging to hunt. So they're the sort of things you look for uh, in in game species. You know, we also can take these animals from time to time as part of um, pest mitigation programs, where the authorities do um, authorise uh, permits. You know, where where these animals are presenting as a problem. Yeah, so I was going to say, what does um, you know, Field and Game Australia think, say, about uh, introducing game reserves in New South Wales? Oh, look, I think that's fantastic. And uh, the sooner they get it done up there, the better, because uh, we have them here in Victoria and we have them in Tasmania and uh, there's a couple in South Australia. But, look, they are fantastic uh, because um, they're very well managed and they really suit people who are time poor, um, a lot of people who live in the cities don't get a lot of time to get out and you know, do all the scouting and 
all the work you need to do to be a successful hunter, those sort of people can actually go there, be well catered for, and know that they're going to uh, take home uh, some animals. And uh, and there's no reason why we can't do that. It's done all over the world. Um, where it's run here in Victoria and Tasmania, it's well managed. Uh, they're licensed um, premises. They have to be, um, you know, they have to go through quite a rigorous um, application process, and uh, and they're successful. And and one of the other good things about it, it just it provides another source of income for a landholder. Um, you know, many landholders are struggling nowadays, and uh, the, the farmers who are more successful are the ones who have diversity in their operations. So if you can, you know, um, incentivize landholders to establish this type of type of um, you know, hunting reserve, then why not? Oh, absolutely. I've been licking my lips at, uh, you know, the uh, Federal, Control, or Federal Animal Control Act that the Shooters Party's putting through and stuff like that. has some has some great uh, aspects to it, so hopefully, um, you know, that comes around in the near future. But uh, let's say, uh, you know, we've got some people coming to Victoria, right, and they want to and they want to become a better hunter, especially in wing shooting. What can they do to become a better duck hunter? Do you think? Well, first of all, they, uh, once they've got their licences, they need to get their waterfowl identification test, uh, and then, of course, uh, get their game licence. But you know, they really, to be a good duck hunter, um, there's two things you need to do. You need to be proficient with your firearm uh, and, uh, yeah, practice at your clay target range. Uh, the next thing you need to do is understand ducks and duck habitat. And to do that, you need to go out. Uh, you don't have to have a gun with you. Just go out for a quiet walk on weekends and watch ducks and watch the different species, note where they, the sort of preferred habitats they like to go to, where they prefer to eat and actually get to understand the ducks because to be a good duck hunter it's all about getting the ducks to come to you not you going to the ducks and the good duck hunters you know with their camouflage and their decoys and their callers they can get the ducks to come to them and that's what makes a successful hunter what sort of uh, firearms are you using these days uh right are you when you're out duck hunting obviously what you're using the 12 gauge or yeah, I use a 12-gauge 12, 12 under and over. Um, I use either a Maroka or a Beretta 12-gauge. Um, uh, in Victoria here, we use steel shot. And um, I prefer to use uh, you know, number four shot. I even use a uh, smaller shot at times when I'm shooting over decoys. Um, but uh, I like to shoot my birds close rather than further away because that uh, ensures a, a, you know, a good clean kill. I like to use um, decoys and, of course, I've got a Labrador retriever and, uh, uh, you know, nothing better than watching your dog dog work retrieving what you've shot. Ab- ah, absolutely, absolutely. I've, I've actually loaded up some, uh, reloaded some number four shot. Hopefully I'll be uh, heading down on the rice this year, so that's going to be a bit of a bonus for me. So I've been spending... The last couple of weeks, getting all my shots done up and everything like that, reloading. So hopefully to have uh, have help out down there. Hopefully. No, well the the rice season this year will be uh, enormous. Um, the we're told uh, by the authorities that there's a record planting of rice will occur this year, and uh, there's been prolific duck brooding all through the. Uh, rice growing areas over the last 18 months and uh, and still continuing now and uh, 
So, you know, there's no doubt that, you know, it's not uncommon for many uh, rice growers to have to plant, you know, a second or third time, you know, when they're hit by big numbers of ducks. So they certainly will be looking for shooters to assist. And, um, you know, what I would say to anyone who wants to do that, uh, go, you know, make sure you've got all your licences and your, uh, your pest mitigation permit and also be careful uh, uh, make sure that the landowner or the property you're going to make sure they've got their uh, permit as well. And and you need to understand how many ducks you're allowed to take on that property. There are limits. It's not it's not just a free for all. Uh, each property uh, permit has a, a you know a number of ducks that are allowed to be taken. Yeah, no, I'm hoping it's going to be be a good, uh, you know, help out and I hope it's going to be good down there. So oh, we heard a lot up here about uh, Victoria put a bounty on foxes. Uh, do you think this is good in managing, say, the fox populations? And uh, has it been productive and you know, in, also in getting folks out there hunting again? Well, the fox bounty uh, hasn't started yet here in Victoria. Uh, the current government uh, made an election commitment to reintroduce it. And I understand that it will be starting uh, early November, uh, and will go for four years, as I understand it. Um, the, we've had bounties here before, um, and they are popular with hunters. And you know, we'd like to think that you know more people will get out there and uh, hunt. Uh, but at the same time, we're realists uh, too, in that fox bounties aren't the only um, you know successful method of getting rid of foxes. It really to get rid of foxes really takes a you know a whole of um, catchment approach. You need landowners, you need government agencies, you need hunters all working together. So it really takes a you know a, a big approach with uh, a number of uh, different tools applied to to eradicate the foxes. But we're looking forward to the bounty here. Um, we we don't know how it'll go. It's been some years since we've had one here, so. Um, you know, time will tell. Nah, exactly. So let, we'll get on to a bit of a few of the, uh, I guess, the touchy political questions some people had too. But what do you think of, say, the current view uh, either held by yourself or Field and Game to gun laws in Australia? So what positive laws would you uh, see maybe could be changed or should be changed to the current system? Obviously, this would include, you know, obviously the banning of semi-autos, pump actions, etc., and those types of firearms. If you look at each state's legislation, we don't have uniform gun laws in Australia, and we we have nothing even remotely that looks like uniformity between the states. So, look, the shooters in, in Australia were badly done over uh, in in 1996, and uh, and there's no doubt some of the you know firearms that were taken off us then, and I refer mainly to the shotguns and. And rifles, you know, we're just, we're just, um, you know, terrible. And we'd like to see those back, you know, semi-automatic shotguns and certainly, you know, semi-auto 22s. Uh, but by the same token, we're not opposed to people who, you know, enjoy other types of firearms being able to use them either. And, um, you know, there's no evidence to show that, you know, this... Um, buy back and all the money that was spent on that and the gun laws that we have in this country are actually done anything. It's quite clear that, you know, firearms crimes continue to go down, but the crime that we do have is by people who don't bother buying licenses or or registering guns. So so, you know, they've really targeted the wrong people. 
with the legislation in this country. Yeah, exactly. I was actually on my last podcast. I interviewed uh, Russell Mark, the Olympic trap champion, and he said he had to give up some, some guns as well and some beautiful guns that him and his brother had were just destroyed. So um, I'm glad I sort of wasn't. I, mean, I'm, I guess I'm, I'm guess I'm semi glad I wasn't around then to to have to hand in prides of joy that maybe you know had been handed down from you know generation to generation, father to son, etc. Oh, look, you know, I handed over guns, but I know people have handed guns in have been handed down from generations. And, you know, you know look, I knew one instance of a Vietnam veteran uh, who had a, a Remington um, 1100, and that was presented to him by an American uh, unit in Vietnam uh, after he'd saved an American officer's life. And uh, they'd actually put a plaque in the in the stock and presented it to him and that gun had to be destroyed. I mean, that's, uh, that's just outrageous. Outrageous, absolutely. And, uh, and there are numerous stories like that. Um, and that was the, the thing that hurt most firearm owners in Australia out of all that was that they were made to feel responsible for what happened at Port Arthur. And, you know, people haven't got over that. Uh, you know, decent law-abiding people, people who've had guns for decades being told that uh, you're no longer suitable to own that particular firearm. Oh, no, it's, it's astronomical. I mean, you, honestly, the way you just said it actually just opened my eyes a lot to, um, like, you know, people made to feel responsible. I mean, I probably couldn't have put that better myself, you know, and it's just, it is disappointing, isn't it, where you go out and, you know, it's taboo to be, you know, uh, talk about if you're a hunter or a shooter and how people treat you sometimes. I mean, I've been in that situation myself and no doubt other people can, uh, you know, vouch for where I'm coming from. But, yeah, you, you've hit that nail on the head about, you know, uh, making us feel responsible. And I was talking to, again, Russell Mart last time about what just happened in Oslo where the, you know, the fellow dressed up as a police officer and was shooting people. And to, as he said, to put a person from that category who's a, a, a psychotic, you know, killer, to put them in the same category as me, you know, shooting clay targets or being yes. a duck hunter down in Melbourne... To be put in that category, I mean, I mean, it's the ultimate insult, isn't it? Really, it's the ultimate insult. It it really is, and uh, you know, it was probably one of the greatest injustices that was, uh, um, you know, put on a section of the Australian community, and uh, you know, people people really took that hard because you know a lot of those firearms they had to hand over, as as we've already said, um, you know, many of these had been handed down through the family, so. I think what we'd like to see is, you know, we've got to get, you know, there's a lot of water's gone under the bridge since then, and I think, you know, we do have to get some of those firearms back and and concentrate on the criminals and not on the legitimate firearm owners. Yeah, and and what they're funny is they think that, I mean, I, I mean, I, I thank you know whoever every day that you know no one's ever decided to do something like that again. But I, I guess the the what what the anti-gun lobbyists, the Greens, and those types of you know uh, p- uh, parties and, and, and what they're thinking is that well, oh we ha- you know we've introduced these laws, oh we haven't had any you know massacres or this for fifteen for fifteen or sixteen you know years you know, but they think that's actually what's stopping it. But I mean anyone on any day of the week can grow grab a pistol if they wanted to illegally and and and. You know, do something really stupid, you know, and the, but they think by changing those laws, well, oh, we haven't had one since, so oh, well, guess it must be working. Oh, in my opinion, it's just 
you haven't seen one crazy person decide to do something stupid for 15 years, but heaven forbid it never happens again. But that's, that's still a reality, regardless of what these, uh, you know, Greens and what these uh, anti-gun, you know, uh, parties think. It's just th- thankfully we haven't had some psycho that's decided to lose it and do something stupid. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right there. And I mean, um, yeah, the the problem, the whole problem is that the fo- the focus is on is on the law-abiding people, and it's not on um, it's not on the people who are psychotic or the people um, that that have got a history, you know, of crime or whatever. The, the focus is in the wrong area, and you know we've seen this in other countries too, like in Canada. You know they they've you know thrown out the system because they realise that the focus is in the wrong area, and. Uh, yeah, here we need to get really concentrating on on where the problems are, and you know the law-abiding people and uh, who have firearms in this country, um, the the number of incidents, the number of crimes committed by those people is almost zero, and you know the Australian uh, Institute of Criminology Statistics um, reveal that. Yeah, I mean, if, I mean, if John Howard's idea was to, you know, create a national uniform solution, I mean, um, you know, I think he's failed in that in that area. I think he's really come up short, in my personal opinion. Well, that's right. The problem was, you know, his intent was to have uniform gun laws, but once they handed it back that that direction back to the states, each state and territory went off and did their own thing, and and the federal government was really powerless to, um, you know, to do anything about that. Uh, and and that's the problem. Uh, you know, you, you 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 have a look at the processes for getting a license or for purchasing a firearm, or for shooting under supervision if you're under 18 years of age. You look at all those things in each state of Australia, and they're all vastly different. Uh, there's nothing, you know, near uniformity. So, Rod, what can be done to separate, say, the image that hunters and shooters are good people? Just enjoying their chosen sport, um, yeah, and, and good people that keep away from criminal element. How can we? Yeah, they're always lumping it, lumping us into those groups of you know, basically we're you know, sporting shooters, you know, we're criminals. Basically, how can we? What can hunters and shooters do to push forward with a good image of what hunters and shooters actually portray and what we're doing for the the sport and the country? I think each individual shooter has a responsibility here too, and that responsibility is to abide by the laws, um, and also to not actually go undercover. To actually come out and tell people you're a shooter, and and not and and as I said before, be loud and proud. I mean, it's no different to other you know someone else likes playing golf, or they're a golfer, and if you're a hunter, that's what you like to do. You should be proud of it, and you should tell people. And, and hunters need to actually, uh, you know, engage more with people who who aren't hunters. Uh, you know, hunters tend to hang around with hunters, and and hunting is a fairly solitary pursuit in a lot of ways. But you know, we need to we need to share our experiences of hunting with people, and 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 if there's someone who's interested, take them to a range and 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 let them have a go. Take them out on a hunting trip. They don't have to hunt, but just let them be with you on the hunting trip and share share the experience of the outdoors. And these are the sort of things that will change how people think about hunting, and that's something we can all do. Each individual hunter can do that. 
Yeah. So speaking of, you know, I guess the the places like these animal activism and animal cruelty, what do you think the future say for realistic, meaningful dialogue about, you know, feral animal control with sort of those types of groups? I I think it's really impossible, to be honest, uh, because these people have got a philosophical position. And that philosophical position means that humans don't eat meat, humans don't eat animal, kill animals. And you really, when you've got that philosophical uh, uh, bent, it's very hard to find any, any common ground. There really isn't there. The more moderate people, and um, you know, you, you'll find that they are quite happy that you hunt feral animals. Uh, well, not happy, but they'll accept it if you hunt feral animals. But they won't accept that you kill uh, game animals to eat. So, you know, along that road trying to have meaningful dialogue, you, it really, you really don't get anywhere because you really are pitching against a, a philosophical... Uh, well, it's a cultural movement. Uh, you know, the people who believe in this stuff... Um, are very, very dedicated to that position and they really find it difficult to, to engage. Yeah, there was a, um, so there was an article I read uh, several months ago um, about especially the animal activism and, and vegans and non-meat eaters about, uh, I did have a good chuckle actually how, how they thought you know, somehow spiritually they were better people than people that were actually eating meat. So, I mean, this is the sort of dribble and uh, I did have a good chuckle for about 10 minutes about it thinking, wow, now, now they're going on the spirituality, they're better, better people spiritually because they don't eat meat. I mean, this is the sort of, you know, dribble that's coming out of these organisations. Well, that's right. And, and really, you know, really what's, what's happening here is, is a disconnection. You know, these, these people, um, you know, have been brainwashed in schools, um, in, you know, tertiary institutions um, into this, this way of life. But what the real problem is, is tolerance. Many hunters, all hunters that I know, don't have a problem with a person being a vegetarian. If that's their lifestyle, if that's their choice, that's fine. We tolerate that and we accept that. That's their cho- choice. But equally, those people who are opposed to hunting, they should accept our choice. But they don't. And that's the problem. They're not, to- they're not tolerant of us, although we're tolerant of them. I don't have a problem with a person who wants to be, be an animal rights activist or whatever. But they equally have to be tolerant of me who chooses to, to eat meat and who sometimes chooses to go out and kill that meat myself. Exactly. Do you do you believe, like I said, getting into um, what the Shooters Party is putting forward, um, getting school children to experience, you know, like a day on the range, you, you support that type of thing and getting, you know, gun safety amongst uh, children is a priority? Absolutely. We've been running that here in Victoria for over 30 years. We have, uh, Field and Game has, um, you know, programs in, in schools in Victoria where we take kids out the range and this happens year in year out and uh, that <coughs> program is mainly in um, country schools of course it, it doesn't happen in the cities but but we do have it uh, right across the state it's a fantastic program I mean these kids that uh, taught proper gun safety uh, they do the safety training uh, classes and the test they then go out to a range where they shoot under one-on-one supervision uh, they shoot clay targets, 
Um, and then they compete against other schools in, in a, like an inter-school uh, shooting uh, competition. And uh, this has been going on for years. And the great thing about it, when you talk to teachers who are involved in this, they say that of all the activities that they do with kids in a school, they see better behaved kids in the shooting class. And the reason for that is because of the discipline involved with it. And it's quite simple. If the kids play up, they're sent home. They don't get to go shooting. So, um, you know, it, it teaches discipline, it teaches safety, and it teaches them firearm awareness. And the great thing about it, uh, at the end of the day, a lot of those kids later on in life may not uh, take up shooting as a sport. They may choose not to. But at least they won't be anti-gun activists. And those same people, those kids, will say, well, yeah, I'm not into shooting, but I can remember when I was at school, yeah, we went to the range and it was all done safely and I had a great time. So it just, you know, it just changes their thinking about shooters and firearms if they're exposed to this sort of education. No, you're 100% right on that. So just our last two questions are, Rod, tell us, say, you know, a good story, you know, that our listeners might get some joy out of, maybe whether it's a hunting, shooting, or a personal accomplishment. Just give us a, a story about something that may have happened to you that you, you've really enjoyed in your in your lifetime. Ah, oh, geez, that's a hard one. Um, I've had so many great experiences, uh, you know, with shooting and hunting, and uh, the great thing about uh, shooting and hunting when you go away on a, you know, camping and, and you meet lots of other hunters, there's a, there's a certain camaraderie that, that amongst hunters that, I don't know how to explain it, but it's certainly something that you don't always get in a lot of other sports. But look, um, you know, I've shot in a lot of different places around the country and, uh, you know, some of, some of my best hunting trips are really been more about uh, not so much how many animals I took, but more about you know the people I was with, um, the great meals we cooked and the game food we cooked up, uh, and also watching my dog work. You know, just um, you know to to see a uh, a retriever, you know, hunt, you know where you've put down a bird and perhaps it's it's not dead, and you you send the retriever in to find it, and just watching how that how that uh, dog works, you know, the cover to find the to find the animal. Um, you know, they're the things that give me a lot of lot of pleasure. What would you say your, your favourite species is? You you enjoy hunting the most? It's hard to say. I suppose with ducks, um, you know, black black duck and grey teal. I mean, grey teal are a little bird, but they're fast and they're challenging. Um, uh, black ducks, that sort of a the black duck is on the field and game Largo. It's it's a uh, it's a premier game bird. Um, yeah, they're a strong bird. Got great eating qualities. Uh, love them. Quail shooting. I mean, there's nothing better than um, you know walking through a paddock uh, with quail and then watching the dog dogs work as they um, you know find the quail and then then flush the quail. And of course, fox hunting. You know, like and fox hunting, I love. Um, don't get to do much of uh, these things uh, nowadays as I used to. But but uh, fox hunting is great fun, and uh, you know we have a lot of members who who are really really dedicated to fox hunting, and and uh, you know they have groups and and they have their calendar of hunts, and uh, you know they they really you know 
get stuck into it. Um, yeah, look, I, I love all that, and uh, and then of course the day at the clay range, you know, nothing better, you know, getting out and shooting a few clay targets that keeps you uh, tuned up and as far as your skills go, and uh, it's very sociable. So if you had to pick, just as a last question, uh, or if you had to pick one of your favourite guns, what would it be? Ah, uh, yeah, well, I've uh, just got one of these Field and Game 50th Anniversary Maracas, and I've got to say I'm really enjoying shooting that at the moment. It's uh, fantastic. But then I've got a uh, Beretta shotgun, which is affectionately known as Barry, and uh, that particular gun I've shot, uh, since um, the early 80s, I started shooting that, and uh, and uh, I still really enjoy shooting that gun as well. Going strong then, going strong still. Absolutely. So, Rod, if people wanted to find out more, say, about field and game, or they wanted to join, find out about your activities, and they wanted to uh, become a member, how would they go about it? How would they call you, and what's your uh, website address? Okay, they can call the national office during office hours, uh, the national office is in Seymour, and the number is 03-5799-0960. But they, probably the best for all the information they need, including membership uh, sign-up, you can do all that on our website, www.fga.net.au. Absolutely, mate. Well, let me just say you know, thanks for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. I'm glad we were finally able to do it. I'm glad we've been able to get a lot of information out there uh, to our listeners. Um, hopefully they can listen to this podcast and they become members of Field and Game and uh, uh, look forward to you know, pushing the sport of hunting, you know, shooting and even fishing uh, down to their children one day. So thanks for coming on, uh, Rod. I really appreciate it. I know you've given up some time to come on the show today and uh, I'm sure people will love the uh, podcast and love hearing what you have to say. So thanks a lot and I hope to uh, have you on sometime again soon. Thanks, Josh. You're listening to the Australian Hunting Podcast. Brought to you by AussieUsedGuns.com.au the premier classifieds of new and used firearm sales. Thanks for listening. See you next time.